You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Mike Chappell, and we have a great show on tap for you today. But Dave will not be with us. He is busy um, with stuff out at the racetrack, IMS today. So hopefully Dave will be able to join us next week. But how are you doing today, Mike? I'm pretty good. Nice day in Beach Grove, so uh, all is good. Yeah, it's a bright sunny day. We got free agency around the corner. We got the NFL draft in less than two months, so it is a good time to be a football fan with a lot of movement about to happen uh, over the offseason. Today, we're going to dive deep into wide receivers and tight ends, the free agent classes, and you know which tight ends and wide receivers the Colts might be interested in targeting in free agency. Um, we'll also talk about the most recent rumors around the NFL, but first, we're going to start with the news. And the biggest news this week, Mike, was that J.J. Watt signed with the Arizona Cardinals. That was his team of choice. Two years, $31 million deal. That includes $23 million guaranteed. I saw a report from Arizona radio host John Gambadero. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He reported that Watt turned down more money from the Colts and Browns to play in Arizona. Uh, since Pat McAfee has come out and said that his source with the Colts tells him that's not true. So who knows how valid that is or not. But Mike, it sounds like the Colts did have interest in Watt. A lot of teams had interest in Watt. The Cardinals were not listed as one of his uh, most likely landing spots. And yet he goes to Arizona, reunites with DeAndre Hopkins. What are your thoughts on this deal? Yeah, one, one thing on, on the Colts and their interest. I'm sure they had an interest. But the person I talked to, they text me back and said, you know, about the Colts offering more. Uh, what it was said was it, it, it's a highly inaccurate report, much of what's about the, much of like what's out there right now. So there's a lot of misinformation. And we probably talked about this last week. I would have been surprised had they gone that high on a J.J. Watt I, I just or a Von Miller if he gets out there. It's not been their, their M.O., but as far as just, you know, and, and I trust the person I talk with. So wherever that guy got his source, I don't know. But I trust what I'm getting. And I'm in line with what Pat McAfee's said and reported. Yeah, I would be. I would have been surprised, too, if the Colts came out and offered him close to $20 million per year. I mean, he's getting about $15 million as it is from the Cardinals. So that's a pretty good deal. I would have been surprised as well, and especially be surprised that he would have turned down that extra money to come to a good team that kind of fits the things he said he was looking for, looking for a chance to play for a championship and a good quarterback. Although I guess that part's debatable. Do the Colts have a good quarterback? We'll find out uh, in the coming years. Yeah, but are, but the, are, uh, are the Cardinals ready to challenge for the Super Bowl in that division? Uh, uh, that's very debatable as well, but at least the, they, they do the third, have a damn good quarterback. They've got a good quarterback, but they might be the third best team in that division right now. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, but it's, it's, you know, these players say what they say, even guys, JJ Watt, who've made Buku bucks, it's money. It, it's, it's so much of this is money driven and you go where the money is, but yeah, you know, Tom Brady took a little bit less every year when he did a contract, but by and large, if you're a player, you're going to go where the best financial money situation is. And, you know, maybe he's in a better situation as far as playoff-wise, but don't tell me the money didn't have a major factor in that. That's true. I, that That's a good point, Mike. You know, maybe the better team playoff-wise would be the tiebreaker, but I think money is going to trump most things when it comes to free agent signings. Um, something that we have not talked about in recent weeks on the Colts Blue Zone podcast that used to be a staple is COVID-19. There was a study published Thursday by the JAMA Cardiology uh, in collaboration with medical experts from the MLB, MLS, NBA, NHL, NFL, WNBA, basically all the major sport leagues in America there. They found in this study very few cases of inflammatory heart disease in athletes who tested positive for covid and that return to professional sports following COVID-19 infection can be safely achieved using the return to play screening program. Now, in this study, 789 COVID-19 positive athletes across the leagues 
Um, there was evidence of inflammatory heart disease identified in just 0.6 of those athletes. So that seems like pretty good numbers to me. The study also found no adverse cardiac events occurring in the athletes who underwent cardiac screening and subsequently resumed professional sport participation. So Mike, all in all, seems like a much more comprehensive study than the one done uh, over the fall at Ohio State. I know there was a similar study at Ohio State with their athletes that kind of said, uh-oh, this COVID-19 thing might have a connection with um, inflammatory heart disease. This study shows that it's a lot less likely to be a big issue and should be a relief to all the athletes and all the, not just professional athletes, but high school athletes and everybody out there kind of worrying about the, you know, we know you can recover from COVID-19, especially if you're young and healthy, but what are the long-term effects? What are the things we don't know? It seems like we're learning more that this heart disease is not um, as dangerous as might have originally been thought to be. Yeah, I think what we're going to find out is is the the deeper we get into this, meaning the longer it goes, you'll have more information because you'll have more, you know, examples and all this. I mean, we're still only what a year into this, so you know, to to say long term, I mean, one year into it's hardly long term. So, but I I think it it's encouraging, but I I to me it's still a cautionary tale because you just don't have a monster uh, sample size, not not number of people, but but the length of time on recovery and, and, and are there things a year, two years, five downs, five years down the road, which obviously you wouldn't have. But it, it is encouraging because initially it was, yeah, the Ohio State thing was, you know, be, beware people because there's a lot of issues here. So this is encouraging. Again, I, my only concern is we're only a year into it, so I take a lot of this. Uh, with caution because it needs we need to have longer time time of period of, of, of examining this but this is encouraging absolutely yeah M- much more studies need to be done to fully comprehend all the effects of COVID-19 but this is a certainly you know because of how new it is one of the bigger studies that has been done on this so far and like you said encouraging is the perfect word to describe uh, the the findings of this study. Something else that's encouraging, Colts linebacker Darius Leonard announced the launch of the Maniac Foundation on Tuesday. His new fa- foundation aims to make a difference in communities in Indianapolis as well as his hometown of Lakeview, South Carolina by working with in-need families through education and overall wellness. Leonard said in a video posted to Twitter, quote, definitely looking forward to it because I couldn't be where I'm at without so many people helping me out, trying to push me to be the best I can be. Now it's my turn to return the favor. Uh, A a special player and a special person, Darius Leonard, trying to make a difference um, on the outside of the football field as much as he does on the football field. This is the latest example of a guy who just gets it. He understands where he came from, what it took to get into this point. And once he gets to this point, giving back. Uh, uh, many, many players do. Some don't. But when you see a Darius Leonard who, who – and, and this is going to be a, a hands-on guy. Sometimes you see players – I've seen players in the past where they put their name on something and then managers take care, take it over and, you, you know, you, you may see the guy very infrequently. I think Darius Leonard is going to be very much up front, out front, hands-on. And I, I think it's a, it's a great gesture for his hometown in, in Lakeview and here in Indianapolis, which is now going to be his, you know, relocated home. Uh, kudos to him. And, and not that they're connected, but it's funny, but when, when he, he sort of set the stage for the announcement on Monday where he said big announcement at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, everybody thought it was his, his extension. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, no, but th- this is a nice consolation. But on the extension, it's going to happen probably in the summer, and he's going to reset the bar for linebackers. I think Bobby Wagner is the highest paid backer now at $18 million, I think it is a year. So Darius is going to be, you know, throwing numbers out, four years, $80 million, I think is realistic. And in what the Colts may have to do, this is a subject for another day or whatever, but what they may have to do is structure it to where – He's got a low cap number this year. Give him a big signing bonus and, and prorate it out 
but make it reasonable this year because as much as they've got, what is it, $43 million in cap space, that's going to go real quick. And by the time the summer gets here, there's not going to be $18 million, $20 million of cap space to absorb Darius Leonard. But he'll get his. He's going to reset the market. And it's just really cool to see a guy who comes from humble beginnings has used the snubs, real and perceived, to motivate himself and then to be in this spot is, you know, kudos to Darius Leonard. Yeah, uh, Darius, very deserving of the probably $20 million per year he's going to get in his new contract. Uh, That kind of seems to be about the standard now for every player except for quarterbacks and I guess kickers and punters, but most other positions, if you're at the top of your position, you're probably going to earn about $20 million in your next contract or close to it. But yeah, very cool. Darius Leonard, Maniac Foundation. I think you're right. He will be very involved. He's not the kind of guy to have to do anything. So right. he's going to be very involved in his foundation. Uh, moving on to some more um, um, personnel moves here. NFL.com's Ian Rappaport reported today, Thursday, that the Steelers have made it official. They're signing quarterback Ben Roethlisberger to a new contract and locking him in in 2021. I know there were some rumblings that the Steelers might try and move on. His cap number was a big problem, so it sounds like they've restructured the deal. I don't have all the details in front of me here. It broke uh, not too long before we started recording, but the Steelers will be moving forward with Ben Roethlisberger under center in 2021, so they're Kicking uh, kicking a new quarterback plan down the road one more year. Maybe they'll draft somebody. Maybe they won't. We'll see. Maybe Sam Darnold. Who knows? But Ben Roethlisberger is playing A at quarterback for the Steelers. Yeah, from what I've read now, Adam Schefter is reporting that he agreed to reduce his base salary from $19 million to $14 million, uh, And it lowers his cap hit, obviously, by $15 million. Uh, but what again, what they've done is, and again, there, there'll be repercussions down the road. What they've done, again, like you said, they've kicked the can down the road. And they're doing, they're sort of doing what Bill Pulley and the Colts did uh, with, with the Peyton Manning years, not just with Peyton, but with the entire team. Is you're, they're trying to stretch this out as long as they can with this group of players, which, you know, that's what Bill did for, for, the, for the 2000s and into. 2010 when when everything hit the fan with Peyton in his neck you're trying to just keep it going but the problem is when it when the end comes generally it's not pretty it it, it just isn't because you you keep mortgaging now the Colts didn't really mortgage 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 although they had some contracts to get rid of with with older and and injured injured players nearing the end of their careers but if you look at the Steelers, holy smokes, they're bringing Ben back. They've got like, I don't know, eight to ten significant free agents. I mean, significant players. And it, I, I guess they're going to try to keep some of them, but, you know, Villanueva Wave and Juju and and the running back and, and Bud Dupree and on and on. And it's, it's kind of obvious they're, they're trying to see how much can we squeeze out of Ben. And with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, the Colts have got their own criticisms or issues with with the way Carson Wentz played last year. How do you evaluate Ben Roethlisberger, who was pretty good for the first, I don't know, 10 games, 11 games? And then it just just went over the cliff. So, uh, you know, with this one, it's either going to work or it won't. Either he's got another quality year and they can make another run. Or they kept a player too late, and that's always the, the, the bad – that's always a concern is keeping a player – you know, we've talked about T.Y. Hilton. Keeping a player a year too long, although T.Y. is much, much younger than Roethlisberger, but uh, they're banking on Big Ben having another year or two in him. Yeah, this reminds me very much of what the uh, Saints have done with Drew Brees in recent years, but the difference to me is while Drew Brees has elite – players around him in Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Ben Roethlisberger does it. I mean, James Conner is a good running back. He's not a great running back. Juju is a good receiver. He's not a great receiver. They don't have the playmakers around him to kind of help carry him as he continues to decline in his older age like Bree's done. But 
who knows? Maybe it will work out. Hopefully, for the Colts' sake in the AFC, it doesn't, and they're able to get past the Steelers next year. Um, but another player who will be returning to his team is Texans running back David Johnson, the 29-year-old. Uh, has signed a one-year deal to remain in Houston. He was actually part of that DeAndre Hopkins trade from a year ago. So, you know, they traded for him. They're going to keep him for at least one more year. He had a solid year with Houston, over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, eight total touchdowns in the 12 games uh, that he suited up. But this comes after Houston has released their other running back, Duke Johnson, uh, so when D. Johnson carries the ball in Houston, at least we'll know who's who they're talking about this time. Um, but but, he but, is one it, of but, mi- but it must be said that that's the least of their of the Texans' problems going on right now. I mean, oh yeah, you know, there's this Deshaun Watson thing that you know can't wait to see how that thing turns out. But maybe they're going to keep they kept David Johnson just so they couldn't totally walk away from the Andre Hopkins trade. Yeah, probably just to try and make themselves feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, I saw. I think I saw something today that Jalen Ramsey, who shares an agent with the, uh, Deshaun Watson, said there isn't a chance he's ever playing uh, in a Houston uniform again, which kind of goes with everything we've been seeing. Um, but who knows how long this will drag on. It could be a while. We could all be sick of it, and it be the summertime, and it's still a thing. At, at, at some point, Houston simply has to, you know, if you, if you trust the reports, they're not listening to trade offers, you know, somebody even mentioned that they're telling people leave voicemails. I mean, serious, leaving a voicemail will give you this, this, this. But at some point, it seems like from the outside looking in that that Deshaun Watson's made it very clear that he's not going to play anymore for him. That that he's willing to sit out. We'll see about that because you know he, he's walking away from a, from millions this year that you just don't ever recoup. But if if it's true and he's not going to play. How much of a point does Houston want to make that we're not going to let this player force his way out of our franchise? You know, that, you know cut off your nose to spite your face. So it, it, maybe it comes to the point where they, they, they say, okay, it won't work. He's going to get out. So let's maximize a player who probably is, is top three or four as far as what he's going to bring on the open market. I mean, who's going to bring more? Mahomes? Uh Aaron Donald, there's probably four or five players that if they're on the market, they would get more than Watson, but not very many. I'm not sure Aaron Rodgers would, the fact with his age. But at some point, Houston's got to decide, are we going to really get our heels dug in and make a point? Or do we need to just wave a white flag and say, we're going to cut our losses and get what we can, which, which will be a ton. They'll get a ton for Watson. But I tell you, it's like that franchise is paralyzed right now by Deshaun Watson because how do you move forward not knowing what your quarterback situation is? Well, and while we're talking about it, at what point does Houston get better value by actually trading Deshaun Watson? I mean, I get it. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's only 25. This is the kind of asset that is usually untradeable. But if he's got, if this relationship is beyond repair and teams are offering you two very good starters and like three first round picks, at what point is your franchise better off by doing that? Because you're already paying Deshaun Watson, one of the highest paid uh, quarterbacks in the NFL, and you had him last year and you won four games. You were one of the league's worst teams with him. So you're paying him this big contract and everyone in NFL media talks about how it's so hard to build a good team around uh, a team that's already paying their quarterback so much money, so much percent of the cap. So at one point, are they better off shipping him off, bringing in a grand total for a player that, despite how good he is, they only won four games with him last year anyway, tanking for a year or two and completely rebuilding their franchise. It's not like they have draft picks that they can even use this year. I don't think they have a first or second rounder this year. They've traded everything away already, get some assets back, and and, and start over again. It's kind of how I feel about this if the relationship is beyond repair. It seems like if, if there's going to be a trade, it seems like that the common sense tells you it needs to be done before the draft, this draft, so that you get what you can get. You know, let, let's just say it's with the Jets. We'll, we'll get that prime number two pick, and, and then you can rebuild. T- 
to do it after the draft, and, and, and so now you're you're creating your quarterback. You haven't got a quarterback that you're going to win with. Uh, so it seems to me like that if the, if the Texans internally decide, okay, this, the only way to make this work is to trade him, it seems like you've got to do it before the draft so that you can maximize this year's draft moving forward because to do otherwise, I don't care what the draft capital you get after this draft, you're you're just you're like you said you're almost in a tanking mode. How do you move forward without Watson and without a reliable plan B? So, I kind of think of if there's going to be a trade, it's done before the draft. But you just wish it would happen, just so that we can move on to the next. You know, to Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson. See what's going to happen there. Yeah, exactly. Well, several things have already happened with a few players around the league uh, being released. Those players so far include uh, New York Giants' Golden Tate, Minnesota Vikings' longtime tight end Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Henry Anderson was released from the Jets, former Colt, um, and Las Vegas wide receiver Tyrell Williams, who has since already signed a new deal, a one-year contract with the Detroit Lions. Uh, And this will kind of lead us into our rumors segment. ESPN's Diane Russini reported Wednesday that in a text with an NFL head coach about the upcoming cuts and what he expects, he said, quote, it's going to be a massacre next week around the league, end quote. So, you know, the salary cap did not go up for the first time in many years around the league. Uh, There's plenty of contracts that teams would like to get rid of, whether to, you know, get themselves under the cap or just create more cap space so they can make some moves. Um, the list of free agents that we currently have may be expanded significantly by a couple weeks from now when uh, free agency hits. And the other thing, you know, these players get released. They don't have to wait until free agency like J.J. Watt and Tyrell Williams. They can go ahead and sign now. Uh, so free agency for a few players has already begun. Mike, what's your take on all of this? Generally, it's the other way around. Is that you? We're sitting here and saying, "Well, what about the Colts pursuing this possible free agent or that possible free agent? You know, a Carl Lawson or, or or someone like that, Von Miller." Well, a lot of times the list diminishes because teams re-sign their player, they tag him or extension or whatever. This year might be just the opposite to where the what you think is is the market right now. Wait all the teams, you know, the Saints. Who did I say the Saints and Four or five other teams are like $20, $30, 40000000 million over the cap. And it's not like, okay, we'll just – I'm not sure how the NBA works, the luxury tax. Okay, we're just going to – we'll be over the cap and we'll pay a fine. No, no. When the time comes, you're, you've got to be cap compliant with, with, I think it's a 51 salary. So I assume that's March 15th. You've got to be under the cap. You don't get, you know – you don't get like a, if you miss your mortgage payment, you get like a seven-day window to to pay it without penalty. No, you got to be into the cap. So this year we're gonna we're apparently gonna see bunches of players hit the market. And if I'm a player, we've talked about this briefly in the past. If I'm a player, I've always said timing is everything. This is not a good time to be a veteran free agent. You know, JJ Watt's gonna get his, and you know Trent Williams will get his, and. Von Miller and, and, and a handful, Allen Robinson, if he's at, they'll get theirs. But by and large, I just don't think you're going to see those guys signing those three-year, you know, $50 million contracts, which is going to be good news for the Colts because then, then maybe they get that good pass rusher. Not great, but good pass rusher for Justin Houston-type money. Uh, maybe that helps them keep Xavier Rhodes. Uh, so, you know. But no, I, I think it's what, what what's being reported is very accurate. Is it's going to be we're, we're going to be stunned, I think, surprised by the number and perhaps the quality of players let go in the next uh, ten days. Yeah, yeah, no. If you thought the uh, stock market was crazy a few weeks ago with GameStop, the NFL free agency market might be insane this year. And that's a good point, Mike. With so many players flooding the market. And so many teams strapped for cash, it might actually bring down the value of a lot of these players and play right into the a team like the Colts' hands, who usually goes for those bargain signings rather than the big splash 
while we're kind of on this, are there any Colts that you think might be at risk of being cut for cap casualties or other reasons? No, you and I were talking off air about this, and I think it's a good sign that how they've got the the, the, rest, the roster set up is they don't have fat contracts to get rid of. And if I if I had to come up with cap space, which they don't, you could look at a Jack Doyle. I think he, is he six million. I've got my numbers in front of me today. I think it was about seven. Okay, but six or seven. But that's 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 a that's a reasonable contract. And let's say you get rid of Jack Doyle. Well, that's a that's an area you already need to address in the offseason. So they won't do that. We talked Mark Glowinski, who's six six and a half, whatever it is. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's very reasonable for a, for a player of his of his caliber. So, and then you're once again you're you're diminishing an area that they do not want to diminish the offensive line. So, no, I just don't see anyone on this roster to where boy. We could get rid of this guy, and we might miss him, but it would save us a bunch of money. There aren't any of those, and that's a testament really to the fact that they've done a very, very, very good job in free agency. They've only missed on a couple guys, and some of the guys they missed on were more scheme. Jonathan Hankins, you know, they they switched to four three, and it kind of left him out. Maybe John Simon, uh, along the same way. And then one of the bigger, we can talk a little more on, on free agents, on wide receivers. The biggest contract they've given the Colts, and not just Baylor, but the Colts, to a wide receiver was Devin Funches. One year, $10 million, and they got three quarters of a game out yeah. of him. Which which is, you know, it, it kills you, but it's not because he couldn't play. It's because he broke his collarbone. So uh, I, I just think that this roster is in good shape that way, and it gives them some flexibility moving forward. Yeah, I agree. The Colts do have the roster in good shape. Something uh, or someone that has not always been in good shape is the Raiders offensive tackle Trent Williams. There are uh, talks, Ian Rappaport says, that the Raiders um, are interested in potentially dealing the once thought to be franchise offensive tackle. Uh, The Raiders signed Brown to a four-year, $66 million deal just in 2019. On his contract, he has two years left with cap hits of 15 to 14 million over those next two seasons. So they're paying him like a high-end offensive tackle, maybe a top 10 to 12 offensive tackle in the league. And I know he had a tough year this past year. He dealt. He was one of the players who COVID um, impacted the worst around the league. He he was out for several weeks on the COVID list. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the entire situation is with the Raiders and Trent Brown, but Mike, this might be an offensive tackle who is on the market. Yeah, but the, the, the Colts have already given up a third-round pick for, for, for Carson Wentz. Would they give up a second-round pick for Trent Williams? I mean, I, I, that, that would be way out of character, what it would take would t- to get him. I wrote about this today uh, about going after, you know, at left tackle uh, – uh, a Trent Williams or or, or Brown or uh, Alejandro Villanueva, which is going to cost you what? Trent Williams is high end, but Villanueva for maybe fourteen, fifteen million. Yeah, the way the way, the way I look at it, I and maybe they prove me wrong is you have to have some cap balance on your roster. Well, right now you've got Ryan Kelly is the highest paid center in the league at $15 million. Uh, Braden Smith's going to get an extension this year. Next year he's going to make 15 or, six, the same. 15 or $16 million as a right tackle. And Quentin Nelson, I don't care if he stays at guard, he very likely is going to be the highest paid offensive lineman in the league. Uh, I think David Bacchieri is, is the highest out, $23 million. Now, m- maybe Quentin doesn't get left tackle money. I don't know. Maybe okay. Maybe he gets twenty. So then, can you, can you? Does it make financial sense, budget sense, to get a veteran left tackle that's going to cost you fifteen, sixteen million for the next couple of years? I don't think it does. I'd love to have the talent, but but can you make it work? That's why I just think it makes so much sense on so many levels to find that tackle in the draft. You get him for four or five years uh, at, at reasonable money. You know, I'd love to have a Trent Williams. You know, left tackles, they can play a long time. They really can. Joe Thomas played forever. Andrew Whitworth played for a long time. So, but I just think financially it's going to be really hard to bring in a veteran guy making 
15, 16, 18 million dollars when you're already going to be paying three of your guys monster money as it is. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with you. If it does happen, it's going to have to be a short-term deal. I couldn't see it being more than two years tops, and maybe you try and make it work down the road uh, and find give yourself a year or two to find that replacement. Even if you draft someone this year, maybe they can grow into being a starter. But, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I'm not sure how you make the money work because if you allot that to – if you're paying for your five starting offensive linemen, 15 plus million per year, that just takes so much away from what else you can do on the roster. Well, and, your, and your quarterback's making 25 million. I mean, so that's five positions making, you know, do, do the math. It, it's just, you can do, you can do a lot of great things with the, with the, the salary cap. Cause it's not, it's not, you know, as hard as what people may think it is. You, you can do things, to juggle bonuses and prorations and all that stuff, but there's only so much you can do when you when you would have potentially four of the highest pay of the highest paid offensive linemen in the league, not just at their position. And then you've got a quarterback. You know, twenty five million for Wentz is really very reasonable. But the one thing you don't want to that you want to try to avoid, and I don't know that they can is back in the Manning days, they were so top-heavy roster-wise with their salary cap with like, you know, six or eight players taking up a big chunk of your cap with the Mannings and James and Harrison and Tarek Glenn and Jeff Saturday and on and on and on. That's kind of the neighborhood they're getting in here where you're going to have your quarterback, your center, your, your your left guard, your right tackle, uh, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, making a good chunk of your – which is great. If you've got the talent, you pay it. But it simply limits what you can do elsewhere. I don't care how good of a personnel guy you are. So they're getting into a, into a, an area that is very, very uh, important that they balance top-end talent. You're going to pay top-end talent, you know, that's why I, I thought it was crazy that that the Texans didn't didn't find a way to make it work with Andre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins. Those guys are special. When you get special players, you find a way to keep them. And the one the the one quote downside to hitting on your draft picks is if you really hit on them, you got to repay them, and their second contract is going to be massive. Yeah, no, this is the exact reason why those first several years, you know, I remember, and I was even guilty of this at time, but Colts fans, oh, Colts have the most salary cap, 100 million salary cap space, let's go out, let's get some good players, and Chris Ballard just refused to do it, and it was so frustrating because they had the money at the time, well, this is why he didn't do it, because now when it's time to pay your own and retain your own, they can afford to do that. Uh, even if it means you sign a f- fewer free agents out there, but if you keep hitting on your draft picks, you're going to be fine. Well, and if you hit on them, then, then in three years you've got to pay Michael Pittman. You know, and that, that's that's the that's what you want to do. It, it, it's a it, it's I hate to call it a bad situation. It, it's an enviable situation because that means you hit on them, but now you got to pay them. And th- that's why you know I, I feel for guys like Anthony Walker. I really do. A very good player, but he's not. At a prime position, I, I feel for Marlon Mack. Even even if he doesn't get hurt this year, this last year, is he back this year? I don't know. You know, maybe the fact that he got hurt, there's more of a chance of him coming back for another year than than had he not gotten hurt. You, you in, in in three years, are you looking to replace Jonathan Taylor, or or is he that special guy? So, it's about to me. It's about how you prioritize positions. And, you know, there's four or five, again, quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, Darius Leonard's, you know, weak side linebacker, that's the Derrick Brooks type guy in corner. And beyond that, center, I mean, their offensive line, center and right tackle as well. But if you're at one of those positions that, that you really make a difference and you're a really good player and you're a great locker room guy, but you're not one of those top four or five prime positions. Uh, the Colts had this back in the day when when they were very very good at pulling was at drafting linebackers. 
Mike Peterson and uh, Marcus Washington and David Thornton, and they only, I don't know if they re-signed any of them to a second contract. They wanted to with David Thornton, but it just, it, it was a case of they drafted very, very good linebackers, but not great linebackers. Uh, well, this time they, they drafted a, a great linebacker, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost them, which is, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. And uh, in terms of re-signing Jonathan Taylor's in a few years, I would, I would tell you you can find out how I feel about that in a few years, but I think you already know. <laughs> you're, you're already scouting the, the the freshman sophomore class to replace him. I can tell. <laughs> That's right. I just do not like paying running backs. Out. Someone who was in Jonathan Taylor's draft class and actually went ahead of ahead of him, Isaiah Wilson. Ian Rappaport is reporting that the Titans are shopping their first round pick. Um, And they're open to dealing the former Georgia standout. Wilson had a very difficult rookie season that included a suspension, a stint on the non-football injury list. And a couple of weeks ago, he took to Twitter and said, quote, I'm done with football as a Titan. So things are certainly not working out there in Tennessee. I'm not sure who's going to want a player who's already seems to have burnt a bridge with the team who just drafted him. It's not like this is Deshaun Watson and he's proved quite a bit already. Uh, this is a player who hopefully he turns it around and he gets it and it understands for some team out there. But it appears the Titans might have just wasted their first-round pick from last year. And this is the kind of player that if let, – let's just say that the Colts would have an interest in him. This is the one to where you're not really questioning his ability. You just aren't. You're questioning everything else about him. And that's the one thing that, that Chris Ballard has done is surrounded himself with people who look well beyond – the talent, what makes this guy tick, what what drives him, how does he respond to adversity. And this is, seems to be a classic example of you look well past j- just what a guy can do physically. And uh, I would need to have, boy, I need to have my people tell me, I guess we can fix this guy because that it would, you know, maybe you get this guy dirt cheap, the fact that Houston's trying to get, or Tennessee's trying to get rid of him, but I wouldn't want to invest in this guy saying he's my left tackle of the future. Yeah. Yeah. No, this does character wise, uh, at least, you know, within the past year with the Titans, this does not seem like the kind of player that Chris Ballard uh, would go after. All right. Now for the meat and potatoes of the show, free agent, wide receiver and tight end classes. After the Carson Wentz trade, the Colts are projected to have nearly $42 million in cap space uh, per spot rack, which is six most in the NFL. So they are in a good position to sign some players. Uh, we can debate whether they'd go after the big names, the mid-tier guys, the low-tier guys. We can talk about that in a second. Now the free agent wide receivers the Colts may lose include T.Y. Hilton. He is unrestricted free agent. Zach Pascal is restricted uh, so he's probably coming back. Uh, Titan Mo Ali Cox is the exclusive rights free agent, so he's probably coming back. Trey Burton is an unrestricted free agent as well. So the Colts may lose Hilton and Trey Burton to free agency. SpotRack projects Hilton to bring in a contract of two years, roughly $22 million, which, which is about in line with what we've been saying. We've been saying T.Y., Around $10 million, too much north of that, and it starts to get a little unreasonable. Hilton actually tweeted this week, uh, quote, No matter where I go, no matter who I pick, the ghost is ready to work. Hashtag free agency. Uh, And then he ended a tweet with a nice little ghost emoji there. Um, So, Mike, I I guess for the hundredth time this offseason, I'll ask you about T.Y. Hilton my gut feeling right now is he's not coming back. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like he's excited to see what's out there. Um, but, Mike, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, and I've addressed this the last week or two online. I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth. I don't think he's going to get the payday on the market that he hopes to get. Now, are, are the Colts willing to pay $10 million a year? I, I, that's probably, to me, their stress level is $10 million. I would think if he gets – you know, let's say he gets a three-year, $30 million contract where really it's two years for 20. How much of it's guaranteed? Half of it maybe? I don't know. It's It appears from what Chris Ballard has said, he's going to let these players 
see what's out there and then come back and say, here's what I got. Can you do something about it? Whether that's TY or Rhodes or, or Justin Houston or whomever. The, the, the problem with that is there's no guarantee the player comes back and says, can you match this? T.Y. might want to do that because I, I do think it would mean something to finish his career in Indy. I, somebody put a really a fantastic note out there about T.Y. Hilton and the Colts. If he comes back and has, is it 630 yards, 640 yards? It's something like that. He hits, he hits 10,000 for his career. They would be the only franchise in league history with three 10,000-yard players with Marvin and Reggie, which is pretty cool. Uh, that's not why they would resign him. But it, it's I, – I, I just had to think that if the money is, is reasonable, he comes back here. But I go back and forth. I, I can if you don't if you don't resign him, then it's it's going to be the list that we're going to discuss on the free agents because you've got to replace him now. If you resign him, do you still go out and try to get that one or two year guy, the Funchess type guy, the Nelson Aguilar type guy, which I wouldn't mind. I don't know that they do that in the draft. They you know with Michael Pittman last year, that's kind of where your draft focus was, but. I, I, if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you on T.Y. because I just can't get a feel on it. Because I, I don't. My bottom line is I don't think he's going to get on the open market. What he thinks he's going to get. Yeah, I do agree with you on as far as the draft for free agency. I mean, they've drafted a receiver in round two the past two seasons, in uh, Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman Jr. So, if T.Y. Hilton leaves, this is a very young receiving core that needs a veteran presence. I mean, they have Pascal, but he's ideally your fourth wide receiver. Um, so I do think if T.Y. Hilton is not brought back, they will bring in somebody to kind of be that reliable veteran guy just in case uh, Paris Campbell can't stay healthy again in his third year and just in case Michael Pittman Jr. does not take that next step that we kind of expect him to take. Um, but let's go ahead and get into this now. Of course, these players could still be franchise tagged. Teams have until March 9th to use that franchise tag. And unless I've missed something, I don't think I've seen any team use their franchise tag yet. Uh, but they still have several days. The franchise tag price for a wide receiver is over $16 million. And the price for a tight end is over $10 million. And by the way, for our listeners here, I kind of lumped in wide receivers and tight ends together. I think the Colts are going to see them in a similar vein as far as their offensive weapons, their pass catchers. I don't think they're going to spin big on a wide receiver and then go spin big on a tight end as well. I think if they add, they're going to look at it in a similar vein. These are pass catchers for Carson Wentz to throw the ball to. It's kind of how I see it here. I agree. Because they they're not they're not looking for the big extra offensive tackle type of tight end. They want the guy that moves the Eric Ebron type guy. Yeah. I don't want to bring up bad bad names that make people cringe. But when he was good, he was. <laughs> he had very a good hell of a year with the Colts there. Yes, he did. And, and and the Colts didn't really pay him all that much. I think they got more than what they paid for out of Eric Ebron when all until it went to he- until it went to hell. Yeah, yeah. The second year wasn't so. It didn't end pretty, but that first year was very nice. All right. One of the top wide receivers in the league and the guy who I think should be the Colts' top target at wide receiver if they're willing to pay him is Chris Godwin. He just turned 25 in late February. Um, Over the past two seasons, he has over 150 catches, over 2,100 yards, 16 touchdowns. He really broke out in that 2019 year with over 1,300 yards, dealt with a few injuries and missed four games last season, but this is a wonderful wide receiver he's about 6'1 he has some size but he has the speed hands route running he really is the total package spot rack projects him to pull in a contract of about five years 90 million so roughly 18 million per year is what you're going to be paying him um uh, this is kind of my guy if the colts are going to pay a big name wide receiver my guy is chris godwin what do you think about chris godwin mike i think i think it'd be a very good addition the, the problem I have with it is from talking to Chris Ballard all the time that I have, and it came up last time, last year or whatever it was about, we were talking wide receivers, and he said, you guys obsess wide receivers, I obsess offensive, defensive lines. And I just, I just think he takes the approach that 
I, I hate, I, and I'm going to describe it wrong, that, that you can make do with, with with very good players instead of great players at wide receiver. They've gotten along okay with T.Y. the last couple of years, and T.Y.'s not been great for a couple of years. Now, I guess the argument is, well, how much better can you be if you had Chris Godwin or Allen Robinson or, or somebody like that? I just think it would be so out of character for for Ballard to invest monster money. Although, again, he's tw- the guy's 25. This is like this would be like getting DeForest Buckner. I'm not talking the same level of player, but I'm talking a guy who's who's 25 and and he's not that two year fix. He's going to be your guy for six years, whatever. I just don't know they do that. And before they get there, would they, you know, certainly if, if you get T.Y. done, then you don't go this route. Yeah. Then, then you're then, then you're looking for the two-year guy. I think if you get T.Y. done, you're still looking for for the guy that they've always tried to find and they've never found. The the, the Kamar Aiken, Ryan Grant, you know, uh, uh who was the first guy they they get they got back that scored the winning touchdown in 2012? The uh, Grant. Uh, no, uh, Andrew Luck threw the touchdown to oh, him and Avery against the line. There, yeah. So those are the kind of guys I would think. Now again, if you don't if you don't bring Ty back, then some of these guys, I don't think Robinson, I don't think Godwin, but I think you're looking at it. You've got you've then you've got to do an investment in the wide receiver market. Yeah, I would agree. It, 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 me trying to argue with Chris Ballard in my head to sign one of these guys I I kind of argue well you kind of just tied yourself in a way not completely because they didn't give up a ton for Carson Wentz but you kind of at least a little bit tied yourself to Carson Wentz maybe you put some some of your resources into ensuring that it works out for you because if Carson Wentz works out for the Colts he works out for Chris Ballard and continues to make him look good and help him keep his job which he is at no risk of losing right now just to be clear uh, that's me trying to argue for one of these top flight receivers. But if I had to bet, I'd agree and say he doesn't go after this. I have a list of the top guys that include Allen Robinson, who if you wanted to argue is better than Chris Godwin, I wouldn't argue back. It's splitting hairs. Kenny Galladay from the Lions is another player who's kind of in that tier, uh, maybe a drop down from Godwin Robinson. Will Fuller, extremely talented player, and he'd be right up there with the top guys if it wasn't for his injuries. Uh, and then he was still has a suspension for the PED. He's got one more game on that as well. And then kind of in that tier, I put Hunter Henry. I understand he's a tight end and he's not quite as impactful at just catching the ball. But this is a guy who, you know, Frank Wright's familiar with them. And um, when they were in San Diego together, I think they ended up drafting him that year, um, that 2016 year. So it, this is just a guy who... One of the top tight ends in the league, probably the fifth or sixth best tight end. Um, but he's going to cost, Spot Rack projects about four years, $40 million, so around $10 million per year. So I kind of have a hard time seeing them paying up for Hunter Henry when, like we just talked about, they're already paying Jack Doyle roughly $7 million per year. So that's close to $20 million per year now you're allotting to a tight end. I don't think that's quite the priority list you want to have. So... I think we both agree it's highly unlikely the Colts shell out for one of these top guys, even though the offense would look great if they did. What about some of these mid-tier free agents, Mike? Uh, mid-tier, we got Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju Smith Corey Davis, who had a career year with the Titans, Johnny Smith, tight end of the Titans, kind of that move tight end. Um, each of these guys, let's see, I, I included Curtis Samuel of the uh, Panthers. In Marvin here. Jones. Yeah, I had Marvin Jones a little lower. I think you can get him for a little cheaper or maybe his contract wouldn't be quite the commitment because he's a little older. So I didn't. I kind of have him in that bargain tier, a tier lower. But yeah, so one of these guys where you're paying roughly $10 million per year, maybe a little more, a little less. Um, but, but what are your thoughts on contract for one of these players? Does any stand out to you? No, we always connect dots. So Nelson Aguilar jumps out at you because of his history with with Frank. And, and, and a name that's not on here because he's not a free agent yet, but what, what happens when Philly parts ways with Zach Ertz? Is he, is he too far down the list as far as age? Uh, you'd get him probably reasonable. I was looking on Colts and tight ends. The last three years with Frank, 
last year as a group, last year 82 catches, 895 and eight touchdowns. 2019, 92 catches, 967 and seven. And then, of course, in 18, when they were just had the best tight end group in the league, 108 catches, 1216, and 21 touchdowns from the tight ends. Franks last year in Philly, he had Ertz, Trey Burton, and, and Selleck, 110 catches for 1200 yards and 14 touchdowns. So they will they will come out of free agency with a tight end. Bank on it. Uh, they've done that with you know Ebron two years ago. Uh, in Trey Burton last year, and of course, the money was totally different. What Burton was basically veteran minimum, I think, and you can get you can get him back for that probably again. He didn't really do much to boost his value, but I, I think they 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 will find a way. Not not big time money. That's why I don't know if they go to Hunter Henry because he'll he'll want bigger money and probably get bigger money. But they they will get a mid tier tight end. John U. Smith is very interesting. Well, he's, he's still 25, 26, uh, young kid that's got room to grow. So I'm not sure who these names are going to be, but they will come out of, again, from, from this group, either, either T.Y. will be back or you're going to get one of these mid-tier tight ends or a second-tier receiver. That's, to me, the only way it makes sense to make this roster work. Yeah, I really like John Smith as well. He's a player 400-plus yards each of the past two years, which for tight end is pretty solid. Um, none of the Colts tight ends topped 400 yards this past year. In fact, if uh, Mike, if maybe you know this off the top of your head, but if you had to guess which Colt had the most targets, which Colts tight end had the most targets last year? Um, Trey Burton, or did you look it up? I, I, look, Cox- I looked it up yesterday. Cox had 31 catches, Doyle 23, Burton. I'd say I'd say Trey Burton. Yeah, Burton had the most by like 15 targets, which I wouldn't have right. realized just from looking at it. I think uh, Mo Ali Cox was the most impactful tight end as far as what he did when he did catch the ball. That's what I'm saying. I I I, I think that they certainly got what they paid for with Trey Burton because again, it was such a like modest contract. Million, yeah, but they but they wanted more. They wanted more than what they got out of him and. And with this group, again, with Moali Cox, I think to expect him to give you more, you know, last year he was 31 for 394 and two. I think that's him. I think he's a, a 35, 40 catch guy. And, and that's not a knock on him. That's just what he is. They need more out of Jack Doyle. I thought they didn't do a real good job last year of getting him the ball. Uh, but I think he's so valuable. They need They need that Eric Ebron type guy to make this group work and they'll find it. They'll find somebody that, that'll, that'll be that. Cause remember they said they, when they got Burton, they saw him as that Eric Ebert role as far as getting down the field. And we just, we just didn't see it. I think it, we probably saw what it, what Trey Burton is, which is fine, but it's only fine if you have somebody at the top of the food chain who can do more. And right now they don't have that guy. Yeah. The Colts uh, and Frank Wright's offense definitely has this role for this athletic move tight ends that's basically a big wide receiver and back to the point i was making is john new smith fits that role that's basically what he is is a big wide receiver um he really broke out in 2029 total touchdowns one of them was rushing he's one of the best tight ends in the nfl uh running after the catch and just with the ball in his hands I, i remember i think it was maybe the year before they gave him a handoff and he took it like 50 yards how many tight ends do you see taking handoffs and taking them 50 yards um he's not he's not great at run blocking but he's certainly gotten better over his career I don't think that's a giant weakness maybe he's averaged to slightly below average in that area but again the Colts didn't ask Eric Ebron to take on a lot of defensive ends and they're not going to ask for a good for a good reason for a good reason they didn't, they didn't ask Dallas Clark to do that either for a good reason yeah and when you did and when you did you got burned so yeah I, again I, I think that's it, it's History tells you what they're going to do, and and the way Frank likes to use tight ends, tight ends plural, uh, they they will come up with somebody. Uh, you know, it's funny we're talking about the move tight end, and one guy that I always wish had made it, had could have stayed healthy, and developed was Eric Swope. Yes. I thought he was a really good player. He just had injury issues here, where you know one thing it was all I think it was a knee that would always bother him, but. That's the kind of guy you're looking for that 
that uh, you know who, who's the really good guy in the in the draft this year? Is it Pitts? Yeah, I've not paid that a lot. Of, I've paid a lot of attention. That's what you want. Well, you're not going to get that. And it, you know, I'm not sure I'd ever. I would want to use a first round pick on a tight end. But that, that's that's what that's what that position's turning into. You need the guy that not to be the extra blocker on third and one, but to get down the field on third and seven or or on first down for that matter and give you the 15, 20, maybe a 50 yard uh, catch and run. Yeah, you need you, you need those tight ends who can outrun linebackers and outsize defensive backs. The Colts don't currently have that. Mo Cox and Jack Doyle outsize most people, but they're not going to outrun a lot of people out there, especially Jack Doyle. Um, so SpotRack projects Jonu Smith, who we're kind of pinpointing as a guy who would fit with the Colts, to a four-year, $32 million deal, roughly $8 million per year. I think he'd probably get that on the market. And the thing to remember, his stats might not blow you away. Tennessee's a run-first team. I mean, this guy's getting 60, 70 targets per year. He's not hes not seeing a pass-happy offense where uh, he's getting a lot of opportunities out there. Um, another guy who's basically, in my opinion, John, John Smith Jr. Uh, is uh, with the Rams, Gerald Everett. He actually went uh, around ahead of John Smith in the 2017 draft. He was a second-round pick. He has also topped 400 yards each of the past two seasons in a limited role with the Rams. He 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 fits a bit. He's almost like a clone of John Smith, just without the touchdowns, because um, he's an athletic receiving t- tight end who's really good at running after the catch. Um, but he might come at a cheaper price. Pro Football Focus predicts he'll sign a three-year, $15 million deal. Uh, which is, you know, a lot more cap friendly to a team like the Indianapolis Colts who are looking for, this is basically a role player. I don't think they're going out there looking for the next Travis Kelsey or anything like that, but it's a role player within their offense. They'll probably be fine paying a three-year deal, five to five, six, seven, maybe $8 million to, and a guy who's going to hopefully be your 20, what was that, 2018 Eric Ebron if everything works out perfectly. Uh, Gerald Everett's actually a guy I included in a story I put up last night, seven free agents who make sense for the Colts. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. But Gerald Everett is kind of my boy who I think the Colts are going to sign in free agency. I'm putting my stamp on it. I was right about Michael Pittman Jr. in the draft last year, and I'm picking Gerald Everett this year. Uh, so Mike, if we kind of look at this and go, what is the best case scenario for the Colts or, or maybe even most likely scenario is it kind of that they re-sign T.Y. Hilton for $10 million per year and then get one of these tight ends like Everett or Jonu Smith and then call that a day at the offensive weapons department position, pass catchers for whatever you want to call it? Is that kind of what we're looking at? I think that's probably best case because, again, I think it's, it's easy to dump on T.Y. because he's not had the really big numbers since, what, 18, I think has been the last two years. He's been The numbers have been down. I thought he was a better player last year than his numbers showed. I thought it, it, it was like the football gods were conspiring to make him look bad. You know, whenever he got open deep, he he was overthrown, or they grabbed him. So I, and here I am being a Ty apologist. I just think that he has value to this team. Ten million is probably my 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 max on the value level, and, and then find that move tight end, and and then I, I I wouldn't rule out if you can get another receiver. I guess I'd say dirt cheap, uh, and see if you hit on him to be that guy that can get, can be the the three or four and flip flop with uh, uh, Zach Pascal. And and again, I as much as I really really like the potential of of Paris Campbell, I I just I don't know how you plan on I don't know how you plan on him being one of your main guys until he is. So yeah, I I would bring back Ty. It's not a loyalty thing. It's that I trust what he's done. I trust what he did last year. Uh, and I trust that he's got another year or two in him to to be that guy. Not the, not the 15, 16 yards a catch guy, but the guy to make the tough catches and to occasionally have the big game, which, which, which is what you want your top receivers to do. Yeah, kind of. And I think the Colts will kind of compare T.Y. to the other receivers they think they might be able to get. I mean, looking through here, would you rather have T.Y. Hilton or a guy like 
Marvin Jones, who SpotRack predicts to get about $9 million per year. So would you rather have Correct. T.Y. or Marvin Jones? Would you rather have T.Y. or like a Corey Davis from Tennessee? Corey Davis, Correct. Um, so I think Juju's going to get paid a little bit more than T.Y. is. So I don't think the Colts, you know, if you're signing Juju, you might as well pony up like three more per year and get a Chris Godwin is kind of how I feel about that. Um, well, one thing to keep in mind on T.Y. is if, if he doesn't come back here and the way that the, the dominoes fall, I'm not sure how the Tampa people are looking whether Chris Godwin's going to be too expensive. Keep in mind that in 2012 – one of the main reasons T.Y. was drafted here was Bruce Arians. He really, really liked what T.Y. brought. So would, would Bruce Arians consider taking bringing T.Y. down to uh, Tampa? I, I've seen some projections where T.Y. goes to Arizona. I'm not sure what their cap situation is after they've signed J.J. Uh, Watt. But, again, the, the bottom line is T.Y. can still play. And, again, it's so easy we, – we, one of the themes that we always talk about that I talk about is it is so easy to get rid of players when you're a fan or the media. The harder part's replacing them. And like you said, I, I would rather, not to a fault, but I would rather invest in the known than in the unknown and the potential. Potential can bite you in the butt real quick. So ideally, I bring T.Y. back at, at that two-year $20 million and, and let him retire a Colt. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice, I got to say. It, personnel and exciting playmakers aside, it would be nice to see T.Y. Hilton retire as an Indianapolis Colt. Um, and, they, and, they, and they wouldn't have to take his mural off the side of Lucas Oil. Yeah, you can just leave that up. That'd be perfect. I think it's see, the only current player up there, isn't he? I believe it's the only player. It's the player and then the horseshoes. So, yeah, that's – and again – that they need to get back to putting players up there. So yeah, let's get divorced. One, one of these shows, Quentin and Darius. There you go. It's done. Boom, just like that. Maybe maybe we waited a year or two before putting Carson Wentz up there. The Colts fans might want to see him prove something first. Yeah, let's let, let's not have him. Let, let's not have a, a statues outside the stadium of Doug Peterson and Nick Foles. <laughs> That's right. Uh, a couple more names I want to talk about before we get out of here briefly. Uh, Curtis Samuel of the Carolina Panthers is a player who I've seen his name kind of tossed out there with the Colts several times. You know, second round pick from 2017. He he had a breakout year in 2020. Uh, 800 plus yards, two receiving, another 200 rushing, five total touchdowns, 77 catches. But to me, this is the same player that Paris Campbell is. He's kind of that speedster, get the ball in his hands and let him run. I don't want to call Paris Campbell a gadget player, but basically a gadget player that you hope can develop into more than just a gadget player. Um, it, it seems redundant to add Curtis Samuel when you, we already have Paris Campbell. Um, I understand we can't assume Paris Campbell's all of a sudden going to stay healthy, but it seems like a redundant move, especially a move that will cost probably a four-year, $48 million contract for a player the Colts already have if he can stay healthy. A um, few more names on here. You got players like Antonio Brown, uh, Sammy Watkins, A.J. Green, Golden Tate, Jared Cook, maybe a cheaper veteran tight end that they bring in to be that move tight end. He'll drop a few. He, he, this is basically Jared Cook's the older version of Eric Ebron. He'll drop a few passes, but he'll make some big plays out there as well. Uh, so those are some guys that I guess the Colts could take a look at. I doubt they'd bring back Antonio, bring in Antonio Brown. But maybe a Sammy Watkins, something like that. Yeah, again, I, I do think they again if they I think I mentioned if they, if they bring back Ty, I still think they find another veteran guy, and that guy would be cheap. He'd be the the guy you sign three weeks into free agency when no one else has any money left over. Uh, because I, again, I I I think they have high hopes for Paris Campbell, but like you said, until he proves he can stay on the field, and and if he does, he's gonna, he's going to be a player. He's simply yeah. he he's got too much talent to not be a player, but when you've missed as much time and, and we're not talking with a bulky hamstring or a, or whatever, we're talking with serious injuries. So uh, I, I hope the best for the kid. He's a good kid, but it's it's just so hard how you guarantee how you how you guard against having enough players at a position when if Paris Campbell's healthy, you got a good set of receivers, but if he's not, you got a major hole to fill. So. 
That's why Chris Ballard gets paid the big bucks to make those decisions. That is, and we are approaching those decisions very soon. That'll do it for us today on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Please subscribe, download. If you want to leave us a rating on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. A comment would be great as well. Follow us on Twitter, too. We'll keep you updated throughout the week on all Colts happenings on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow me specifically at Roto Street Joe. Follow Mike at MChapel51. And then next week, we are going to have an all-encompassing free agency preview as I believe March 15th is the legal negotiating window. So March 15th rolls around and we'll start hearing things like players have agreed to a deal. They have not signed a deal. They've agreed. To- it's, like, it's like the the Colts have agreed to a trade with Philadelphia for Carson Wentz. Yeah, they haven't traded yet, but they've agreed no, to no. it. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next week, Colts fans.